Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry, featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two ministers of God's economy who served together in China for nearly 20 years. Watchman Nee was imprisoned by the Chinese government in 1952 and remained there until his death in 1972. Following his imprisonment, Witness Lee carried on this ministry in Taiwan and eventually in America and ultimately around the world. He served the Lord for more than 70 years before going to be with him in 1997. His major contribution was through a 21-year labor he called Life Study, an exhaustive commentary on the entire Bible. This program is based on those messages. Before we join today's show, we'd like to give you our website where you can find more programs just like this one. It's lsmradio.org. Again, lsmradio.org. Radio.org. Now, here's our show today. Try to picture mealtime in the home of a prominent religious leader. The guests include Jesus of Nazareth, other religious figures, and the followers of Jesus. And then an uninvited guest shows up, a woman, well-known in the community because of her sordid background and sinful past. The picture is a vivid one, isn't it? And what transpires is so unique and profound as to forever be considered when the gospel of God's love and grace to man is told. Ron Kangas has joined us today as we consider this marvelous, wonderful portion from God's Word in Luke chapter 7. Ron, good to have you here. Marvelous and wonderful. Well-chosen words and uh, altogether fitting. And I would uh, further... Consider why marvelous, why wonderful, because of the person unveiled here in such a pure, approachable, tender, holy, loving way. What a scene, a religious Pharisee, a sinful woman, and the Savior who is the embodiment of the forgiving God. What a vignette, what a scene to unveil to us in living embodiment the rudiments, the basic elements of the gospel of the grace of God. Ron, this uh, chapter, chapter 7, is the only place in uh, Scripture where we get the full account of this meeting between the woman and the Lord Jesus in the home of the religious Pharisee. And it also goes into detail about her, well, seemingly inexplicable or at least unusual behavior during the course of this gathering. There is reference to the story in Matthew, at least to a small portion of it, but only the details are given to us here. Why is it fitting that this would be the gospel where this story is unveiled in its detail? This story of the Lord's granting forgiveness through faith, issuing in love and peace, is a story that illustrates the basic principle of the Gospel of Luke. And the basic principle of the Gospel of Luke is that Luke is a revelation of Christ as the man-savior with the highest standard of morality 
And we define the highest standard of morality as meaning a morality in which the divine attributes are expressed in human virtues. So as a whole, Luke unveils the God-man with the highest standard of morality as the one in whom divinity was manifested in humanity in a way that is tender, affectionate, in a way that causes us to have a fresh appreciation and affection for this wonderful, marvelous person. Well, Ron, we spoke in one of our early programs in this life study that if we see this picture, the man-savior, as the one depicted uniquely in Luke's gospel, as we read Luke, it becomes a different book than perhaps uh, in our previous readings of it. I would just like to remind our listeners of that because I want to read this story now and then ask you to uh, kind of fill in some of the texture that the story implies uh, as we get into the intrinsic points related to it. But I think this picture of the man-savior, this expression of the divine attributes through the human virtues becomes very vivid in this story. Okay, we're in Luke chapter 7, begin at verse 36. It says, Now a certain one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he entered into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And she stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet affectionately and anointed them with the ointment. But when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said within himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, because she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Teacher, say it. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed five hundred denarii and the other fifty. But since they had nothing with which to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, would love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he graciously forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged correctly. And turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered into your house. You did not give me water for my feet. But she with her tears has wet my feet, and with her hair has wiped them. You did not give me a kiss, but she, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet affectionately. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, because she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, he loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who were reclining at table with him began to say within themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? But he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Ron, wonderful, marvelous picture as we've used the, these terms, isn't it? Surely. And now to fellowship about some of the details to try to sense the spirit of this portion of the word. Who is this who even forgives sins? God, manifest in the flesh. This is the God-man. We believe that in his omniscience, the Lord Jesus knew that this woman would come once he accepted the invitation to eat a meal at Simon's house. 
Surely in his omniscience, he knew what Simon was saying critically concerning him in his heart. Because soon as Simon uttered these thoughts inwardly, condemning the Lord, doubting the Lord, saying, how could he be a prophet? He would know. Well, he knew. He also knew Simon. And so we have his deity manifested here. But divinity is expressed in humanity in such a pure and tender and loving person as this man-savior, the God-man. He was obviously very pure that he could have this contact in this situation, that she could express her affection for him, yet he would be utterly pure in relation to her. Remember, in chapter 1, verse 35, he is called this holy thing. He is a holy God-man. So on the one hand, he is separate from sinners. On the other hand, he's the friend of sinners. So here he is in his divinity, forgiving sins in his divinity, knowing the hearts of human beings, and in his humanity, being so approachable, loving, pure, kind, gracious, understanding, forbearing. So there is an atmosphere here of affection, divine and human, which I would say, and this is my personal impression on this fresh reading, this atmosphere transcends and swallows up the religious, censorious, condemning element embodied in the religious person. But the Lord is so gracious that he indicates that he forgives Simon as well. Although he knows that Simon is forgiven little, or so Simon thinks, Simon loves little. The woman is forgiven much, so she loves much. So here in this little picture involving these three parties, we have a marvelous display of the man-savior. There has never been and there never will be another like him. But he wants, and I'm going just a little astray to make a point related to God's economy, because Luke is really linked to Paul. And to go from Luke to Paul is actually not such a big leap after all. But we have the wonderful person described in Luke 7. According to the revelation given to Paul, this person is now the life-giving spirit living in us. And he wants to live again in us. The God-man life, the life of divinity expressed in humanity, the life of the highest standard of morality. The one unveiled in Luke 7 is the one making his home in our heart. I just love him afresh. I would like to contact him afresh, not like Simon, but like the woman needing a lot of forgiveness.
Well, there is some linkages in this story. Uh, If we move back from just the tender picture a little bit, there is actually some instruction here, though we don't want to get overly concerned with that side of this story. You mentioned earlier on we have faith, we have forgiveness, we have love, and we have peace that are all mentioned in this story. Uh, As we're going to see in this coming portion from Witness Lee, the sequence in which they appear in this story is also meaningful. So let's join him for that. In this case, I would call your attention to three things. Number one, faith. Number two, love. And number three, peace. When I was young, reading uh, this chapter, I thought the love toward the Savior was the cause of the forgiveness of her sins. She loved him. So he forgive her. Love was not the cause. Because eventually, the Lord told her it was not love that saved her, but faith that saved her. Can you see this? You have to read verse 42. See, love comes after the forgiveness. Therefore, you have to underline the word therefore. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? And this means love didn't come before the forgiveness. Rather, love comes after the forgiveness. Then what was the cause of the forgiveness? That was faith. Because you go to verse 15, you could see your faith has saved you. Her sins were forgiven, not because of her love, but of her faith. Faith came before the forgiveness, and love follows faith. Then, this love issues in peace. Love comes out of faith and issues in peace. Firstly, we believe in the Lord, and if we have faith in him, then we got forgiven of all our sins. And this kind of faith brings in a love to the Lord. When we love him, I tell you, this love issues in peace. Then we walk in peace. And to walk in peace also means to live in peace. And also it means to have a life of peace. After believing in the Lord and beginning to love Him, I tell you, we live a life in peace. This is a Christian life. We believe in Him. We got forgiven. Now we just love Him. And then this issues in a life of peace. We just live and work and have our being in peace. Hallelujah. Ron, I think the wrong understanding about forgiveness that he admitted to is probably a common one. It's easy to assume that the Lord forgave this sinner of her sins because she demonstrated such a deep love for him. But could our loving him ever be the basis for his forgiveness? To this question, we have to answer no with more than one exclamation point. If that were the case, then we would actually be earning 
God's forgiveness. We would be bringing something to God that would elicit forgiveness from him. And we're simply not able to do that. We are absolutely destitute. We are forgiven solely because of the love, grace, and mercy of God manifested based upon the redemption according to God's righteousness. So in the gospel, we have a revelation of the grace of God in his forgiveness. And as a gift from God infused into us, we believe. We are forgiven through faith, and that faith itself is a gift. In response to being forgiven, we love. And the issue of faith, forgiveness, and love is peace. So we should not read this passage superficially or isolate a verse or a phrase. The clear emphasis here is that we love in proportion to forgiveness. He who is forgiven little loves little. He who is forgiven much loves much. The woman loved very much, shown in her affection, because she was forgiven very much. The forgiveness was received through faith. The Lord said, your faith has saved you. He didn't say, your love has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So the sequence is both, let me say, theologically and experientially correct. It is faith, forgiveness, love, and peace. That's the good news. That is the good news. We began, Ron, with your um, setting up again how this gospel shows us these two aspects of our Savior, that he is both God and man, possessing both divine attributes and the expression of them through his human virtues. This last very short section of Witness Lee, I think, uh, will return us to that thought in a kind of a summary way, a good way to end the program today. Let's go back to him. This is the story of this case. And in this case, you could see affectionate atmosphere on both sides, on the Savior side, on the sinner side, right? It is all together an affectionate matter. And this proves the man-savior's human virtue. Yet, in this human virtue, you could see also the divine attributes. Why? Because he has the right, the authority, to forgive people's sins. See, in verse 49, and those who were reclining at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Who is he? Only God has authority to forgive sins. So he is God. And he has the divine attributes. Not only so, and he could give the forgiven ones peace. Could you give people peace? Peace is not in your hand. Right? Peace is in the what? Almighty hand. Only he can forgive sins and only he can give us peace. So, to forgive 
and to give peace. These are two attributes of God. These are the divine attributes. And these two divine attributes are expressed in the Savior's human virtue. Well, let's close with this point, Ron. We've seen in many uh, recent programs that the stories we hear or we see in Luke are very graphic in how they illustrate or demonstrate the divine attributes expressed in the human virtues. I really can't think of a case that more graphically illustrates this perfect blending, perfect expression of divinity in humanity than this story we've looked at today. This truly is an account that, as we are told in Matthew, uh, is worthy to be included whenever we're presenting Christ to people, isn't it? It is surely worthy of being presented as we're presenting Christ. And I would suggest two reasons in particular why I consider it worthy. Sometimes in our presentation of the gospel, we may adequately present certain gospel truths which need to be presented the truth of grace, of redemption based on righteousness, of justification by grace through faith. But in preaching the gospel, there need to be some other things. And the most important, of course, is uplifting the person of Christ, preaching Christ, preaching the person, not first proclaiming a system of truth, but proclaiming, declaring, announcing, bearing witness to the person, the one who is the embodiment of the gospel. The gospel concerns the Son of God. So in presenting this case as we are presenting Christ, we are extolling him, magnifying him, uplifting him, glorifying him. And the other reason that this gospel narrative should be included again and again in our preaching of the gospel is that it is humanly so touching. It brings before us a real living case of God-man, sinner contact through faith, issuing in forgiveness, love, and peace. And if we present Christ and present this story in the spirit of God's Son, then there will not be in our gospel preaching any element of self-righteousness, any spirit of superiority in relation to the ones to whom we are speaking. But we will be bearing witness to the fact that we, like this woman, have been forgiven very much. And now we love the Lord Jesus, very much as a response to his forgiveness. So both by uplifting Christ and by testifying that we are forgiven sinners who love the Lord very much, we present a lovely, divine human, God-man gospel to our fellow human beings. May so many be drawn to him, forgiven by him, love him, and live and walk and have their being in the peace of God which passes understanding. Oh, such a sweet and tender portion, yet uh, 
full of light, nourishment, uh, but with all with the effect that I think at the end, everyone who has been with us today, Ron, as I know I sense, and I think you even alluded to, we've all had our love to the Lord rekindled today. For this, as always, we thank Him. Amen. Well, we will leave you with our toll-free number. We hope you'll contact us. We'd love to see you get the printed materials that uh, correspond with this program today. Our toll-free number, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. The focus of Living Stream is the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China in the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Witness Lee brought this ministry first to Taiwan, then later to North America, and eventually to the entire world. For more than 20 years, he spoke these life study messages, unveiling how each book of the Bible shows God's eternal plan. God, through Christ, wants to dispense his life and nature into redeemed man so that man would become God's expression, enlargement, counterpart, and habitation. These studies go far beyond mere doctrine and unveil a personal, practical, and experiential Christ. In these short 26-minute programs, we summarize and condense Witness Lee's rich speaking. But to enjoy all the riches in these messages, we hope you'll visit our website at lifestudy.com. There, you can read all of the Life Study messages absolutely free of charge. You can even create your own Life Study reading schedule or download more Life Study audio programs just like this one, and all at no cost. Again, the website, lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.